All right. So today we have the privilege of talking to Roger Cunningham. Roger is a fascinating guy. I'll just run through a few things that he's done. He's an award-winning musician. Uh, he's a film and television producer and composer in New Zealand. He's of Maori descent on his mother's side and Scottish on his father's side. He's been in the creative and, and education industries for 25 years. He's had five different career changes and transitions. And you know, he's, he's really an amazing guy. He's fascinating to listen to. We're really happy to have Roger here. He's been through a lot. He's had a lot of success. And I really think he's, he's someone that you're going to get a lot of value out of listening to. So Roger, take it away. Tell us about your story. Feel free to start wherever you want to. Thank you, Russ. That's right. My my mother is um, Maori. She's indigenous to the country of New Zealand. And uh, for those of your listeners in the podcast who don't know a lot about New Zealand, New Zealand is a small little country, the most southern islands um, on the planet. Uh, you go any further south than New Zealand, you're going to hit the Antarctic. Uh, and the New Zealand was um, first discovered by the Maori people in around the 12, 1300s. Um, and, uh, they were an incredible race of navigators. If you can imagine the kind of traveling that happened back in those days, the South Pacific Pol Polynesian Islanders were traveling in the deep blue oceans hundreds of years before um, the rest of the world had figured that out. And I guess the British, when they, the, the only way that they actually figured out how to navigate the deep waters to any level of accuracy was when John Harrison invented the clock back in, I want to say the 1700s, 1800s. Um, up until then, it was a little hit and miss. Um, whereas the, uh, the, the, Polynesian, the uh, Polynesian um, tribes, they were, um, uh, they had different mechanisms for navigating. Um, and there were things like the stars, uh, the currents, the marine life, um, the, 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 the wind uh, changes. And they were, it was like catching an Uber back in those days to go from Fiji to Samoa to Tahiti to New Zealand. They'd figured that stuff out. And then um, we were colonized by the British in the late 1700s, 1800s, and things completely changed for these people. Uh, my mother's first language is Māori, and she married a full-blooded Scotsman, and his name is Robert, Robert Cunningham. And uh, I talked to my dad sometimes, I said, and, and dad and I, we do talk, hey, dar, how's your day going, eh? Ugh, it's not bad, Roger, how you doing? You know, and um, where my mother spoke com completely differently. My mother had a um, very m m mellifluous uh, way, like she spoke in rhythm and she spoke in uh, song almost. So if I'd say, um, hey, mum, how are you doing? She'd go, oh, well, today, oh, I'm feeling quite good. And, and you'd tell how she was feeling by the way that she was talking. How these two got on, I, I to this day, I, I never know. They were just chalk and cheese, uh, my mother and father. And anyway, so um, growing up, I grew up in Scotland for a little while, and but, but spent most of my years in uh, New Zealand. Um, and I, I guess it was probably a good time to talk about my introduction into what I eventually got into, which was m um, music and film. Uh, I was uh, I, I was not a very I was not very I was academically challenged to be honest. Um, these days they might have called it ADHD. I'm not sure it was quite that. It was I was just a little dreamer, uh, just to sit in my little world and dream and imagine and things like doing your homework just didn't have any uh, uh, motivation for me to do that. Uh, but in New Zealand. Um, um, especially amongst the Maori people, the the first thing that you do with little children is you figure out what they're gifted at. Because the, honestly, you you you've heard speakers like Tony Robbins and various other guys go, "How do you know what your passion is?" It was a very very good question, 
And one of the techniques to figure that out is to, well, what were you good at when you were very little, before you knew much? And so the Māori people would, would go, oh, well, this boy's an orator. Uh, he's quite creative. Um, he dreams a little bit. So therefore, um, we give him opportunities to, uh, to speak and perform, which is what I used to do a lot when I was little. You know, we would have school assemblies and the, the, um, the, uh, the speaker of the day wouldn't turn up. And they'd say, oh, gosh, what are we going to do for the next 20 minutes? Roger, get on stage and sing a song. Roger, get on stage and, and tell a story. Uh, I'm seven, eight, nine years old, that sort of thing. And no one sort of went, yeah, well, that's what he does. He gets up and entertains and does stuff. And it was all quite natural. And, um, yeah, so uh, that's kind of a truncated story of my upbringing. That's great. So you had this musical background growing up. And at what point did you decide, did you decide, not necessarily the people around you, but you decide that you wanted to be a musician and get into that world? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I always wanted to be a musician I, I, since I can remember. And the problem was that, um, A, we couldn't, couldn't really afford it. And B, um, my dear dad, who's still alive today at 89 years old, he, he didn't like noise. And so um, I didn't start to become musical until my, uh, my, my late teens, 17. And um, I had to make up for lost time. It's much, much better to learn an instrument, you know, when you're young. Um, it's, it's, it's a little more difficult, but I, I did make up for lost time and, um, I, uh, and, and I had my very first guitar lesson, uh, Russ, and it, the guy was of quite some renown, uh, Wayne Cornwall, good friend of mine today. And after my first lesson, he said, oh my God, you're the first Maori I've ever, I've ever met that doesn't have a natural sense of rhythm, you should probably just, you should probably think about doing something else. And that was the motivation. You remember that teacher that told you you couldn't do it? And that was the motivation. I said, I, I spent the next three years, six hours a day. And, and I didn't, I didn't actually have a natural talent for music, but I, I was going to prove them wrong. And one day I met him, you know, years later, and I said, hey, well, how about this piece? And how about that piece? Uh, gosh, it's um, the, the, the challenge that he laid down that you, sh that you shouldn't do it was, was, the, was the motivation for me to go and do it. So what, what was the first career that you, you had? Was it just side gigs or did you, was there a job at a company that you had? Or how did you get into the music industry? I started off playing in bands, um, but back in those days as a musician in New Zealand, it, there wasn't really a career path. Very, very few made it. We did, a, we didn't have the population, and B, we were bombarded with American and British music. Absolutely bombarded with American and British music. And so anything that we came up with um, just seemed like such a... Uh, you know, a second cousin to it all. You know, we just all went, mm, good job, but not quite how the Americans do it and not, not quite how the, Brit the British do it. <clears throat> and so, uh, so I kept my day job, um, which was I, I trained as an, uh, a radio communications technician. Um, and uh, I think maybe for five years I did that. And when I got to my fifth year, I went, this is not going to be my life um, working in this field at all. I just didn't see any, um, I guess there was a career path there for me and I could have made money and, um, but I just, I, it just didn't seem fulfilling. So I, I got my qualification, I got my diploma and shortly afterwards quit and um, went, uh, decided that I wanted to follow music and uh, as life happens um, because I had this qualification um, I 
I was taken on as one of the technicians in a radio station. That that really was the beginning of my uh, introduction into music because I learned how to record music and and learned how to um, broadcast music. Uh, and yeah, so that, that's that's my start. Roger, what would you say your musical style was of your band back in the day? Oh, ha. Um, probably heavy rock. For some reason, when you learned to play guitar back then, you wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> you wanted to be Angus Young from ACDC. You wanted to be Steve Vai. Remember that guy? And you wanted to be, and, and so, uh, so <laughs> my introduction to music was I was learning to play all of these uh, heavy rock type type uh, uh, that that genre, but wasn't too long after that that um, I gave up the electric guitar for fifteen years and concentrated on acoustic guitar, and that's why I got these big long nails because I now uh, play much more flamenco, classical, folk music. Um, I just find that so rewarding. It's a great genre to tell stories um, with, with to tell your stories. And um, just very quickly, uh, <clears throat> I was, I, I wrote a song uh, a number of years ago where I was being, I was in, I, I, I was being shafted by, by a lawyer over a certain case. Um, and, um, it, I, I was absolutely being shafted. The, the the justice system and the legal legal system, even though my, I was one hundred percent should have won this case, um, the justice system being the way it was and the way that uh, those things go, this this lawyer had me all over a barrel. Um, and I said to him, I said to the lawyer, I rang him and said, "Hey, listen, man, like um, you have a conflict of interest in this case." you really should uh, uh, excuse yourself from the case and let another lawyer take it. And he all but laughed at me and said, yeah, see you in court. So I went to a better lawyer and uh, I said to her, listen, this are these other, these other circumstances around this case. And um, I'm clearly being shafted by the legal system because this guy should never, never be representing uh, on, on, on the other side. And she, and she all but grabbed me by the cheeks and she said, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm the best lawyer that you could have asked, but you're going to lose and I'm not going to represent you. I, I, I just won't take your money. Turn up in court and lose gracefully. I woke up that night in the middle of the night and I said to myself, how is that possible? That justice isn't going to happen just because there's this loophole or there's this, there's these little secrets that lawyers can get away with. So I wrote a song. I wrote a song that night. It's a very, quite a nasty little song, but, um, and I recorded it and I sent it to the entire law firm that uh that he was he, he was um there was a working for and i said you get this lawyer off this case or i'm gonna busk this song outside your law firm every day and invite the news <laughs> i had nothing else and um uh just quickly the, the the lyrics go a little bit like this um they're uh it's to the tune of a kind of like a bar mitzvah song, like like some sort of boom da dum da dum, like polka. Dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun. It goes, I hate crooked lawyers. They eat children for breakfast. They dress like Pharisees and their souls are always restless. To crush the sick and lame, shift the guilt and blame. They belong at the bottom of the sea. Beneath their fancy clothes are dirty, rotten bones, and they're eager to defile all purity. Hilltop homes, fancy cars, drinking buddies at the bars, they belong at the bottom of the sea. One more verse. Uh, go, and this is what he said to me. Well, there's a law for you, and there's a law for me, and God himself ordained this to be so. So you should be afraid, because I am getting paid. Excuse me. I've got a case to throw. 
and I'm playing the guitar and I, uh, and anyway, cut a long story short, they must have had a kind of one of those, we need to have a closed door meeting about this. And um, they dropped the case. They dropped the case. So, uh, the song is so venomous yet almost Disney childlike that it could have been catchy, you know. Forever that song was going to be representative of this stupid law firm. Um, and it's one of the things that I love about music is that you've always got a song, always got a song, always got, you, you know, doesn't matter how, you know, you, we think about American music and particularly blues. They they always had a song. This, this podcast is about transitions and dealing with them, either successfully or unsuccessfully. I think we can learn from both the good and the bad. Hmm. The fact that you just shared an experience that can be very challenging for a lot of people, you know, dealing with lawyers, going up against what can seem insurmountable at times, you right. solved that through music. And mm. so is that something you tend to do? Like what, if you if you run into a challenge in your life, maybe it's a, you know, mentally you're stuck somewhere, emotionally you're stuck somewhere. Do you tend to find your way through those or navigate through those situations using music? I just thought it was interesting how you used <laughs> music to get out of that. That's, that, that's probably a really good um, way to put it, Russ. And um, music has probably been the only constant in my life. You know, they say that uh, the only constant is change. Um, but wherever I've been in, in the world and whatever I've done, um, the the guitar, is, which is my, my main instrument, is is always very honest with me. However I'm feeling is going to come out on the guitar, actually. If I'm feeling frustrated and anxious, I'll play frustrated and anxiously. And it's nice to hear yourself play that back. And if I'm feeling happy and if, if, um, if, if, the, muses, if the muses come and I get, get creative, that happens. Um, so, the, so I guess, yes, yes, um, music is very, 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 very important to me. Um, having said that, there, there is this time as a musician, guys, that, um, you, you're going to suck for a while, a long time. If you're, uh, like if, if, if your goal is to be, you know, a triple jump specialist or a high jumper or, or, you know, a, a track and field runner, you're not going to turn up first day and win the race. You're going to have to do the hard yards, and and, and music is, is is very much the same. And if you're honest with yourself, um, you'll go, hmm, yeah. Um, the, the the problem that I've had is having this incredibly healthy, vibrant, self clobbering machine. It 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 it's it, it's. Um, before I perform or before I go into a project, I hear this voice coming. Who do you think you are? You can't do that. Remember yesterday you broke your nail and th the song sucked. Everything you do, you know, like everything you do sucks. And, and that, that voice. Um, and I've learned over the years to ignore it and I've learned over the, the years to say oh hello I was wondering when you were going to turn up oh there you are okay oh gosh I, um, I thought I'd lost you there um and it, it's it's a it's a way to get through it uh, you know imagine standing up um coming going on stage and there's 30,000 people which, which wasn't it wasn't common but it wasn't uncommon that I would perform in front of thousands of people and this guy turns up man like a blimmin like you set your alarm clock to him just before you get on stage and actually the day before the week before um and um so you learn to deal with the the, the crippling nature that th that could do if you listen to it too much and um it's <clears throat> I want to say, as you get a little bit older, 
and you go and, and you recognize it and you, and you have, I guess, a little, a few more tools. And I, I've been very fortunate because I was thrown on stage at a very early age. So I was familiar with that anxiety and I was familiar with that fear. I was familiar with um, what if I suck? I was familiar with what if I embarrass myself and, and, um, and yeah, I was a little bit um, lucky in that regard. Hey, Roger, it sounded like you had a, a teacher that was pretty honest with you early on. Where do you think that negative voice or that, um, where do you think that came from? Is that something that you, you experience outside of music or is it just in music? I mean, obviously something that you're super passionate about. Um, if you're willing to do something six hours a day when you're learning, obviously there's, there's passion there, but, but why would there, why would there be a negative voice? Mm. And do you think there's a source or, or a, a reason behind it? Gosh, you, you guys just cut right to the heart of the matter, don't you? That is, um, I, it's, it, it's, <clears throat> okay. Uh, my one comes uh, it comes from a number of places and one of the places that it comes from is um, intergenerational tragedy. Um, if you can imagine that your great-grandfather was dispossessed from his lands and became absolutely poor, your great-great-great-grandfather even, um, became dispossessed in his own land, um, lost everything. And then you just, uh, you just become this, this culture within a country that used, you, you used to know and love. And it, it was my land. And um, through my mother's line, um, I think that intergenerational trauma um, somehow comes through your DNA my father being Scottish, um, you know, they had their problems with the English too. Hey, go America back in the, you know, establishing the constitution to separate yourselves from the Brits, you know? Um, and so some of it is, some of it is intergenerational and, and, and some of it to a lesser degree is just most of us are insecure. Well, that's, that's heavy on the, uh, especially the intergenerational. That's not something that I, that I understand well. Um, but, but I appreciate you sharing that because that, that definitely is part of any native culture that has been or has had their lands dispossessed. Mm. And you're trying to find your voice and find where you fit in the world now. Um, mm. and so I, mm. um, that was pretty heavy, but I, but I appreciate you sharing that. And, and yeah, I think most of us are pretty, pretty insecure. I, I know for me, what I was passionate about was playing volleyball. And it wasn't until I had a couple of very serious injuries before I even started to doubt myself. And then it's just like, you know, those voices get louder and louder. Like, Hey, you, this guy's better. You're never going to make it, you, you know, give mm. up before you, you get yourself too far out there. Um, and that's actually the reason why, you know, Russ and I decided on this podcast was those things that we were most passionate about can, uh, once we extend ourselves too far emotionally become something that, we start to hate. So mm. has there been any time where, where music has just felt like this anchor that is pulling you down? I mean, you've mentioned that this is something that where you, you find your expression and you find your voice, mm. but it has it ever felt like a, you know, an anchor that's pulling you down and you just can't, you can't find your way out. Yeah. Mac, you know, uh... I can't describe the amount of times that I really wanted to quit. Uh, they're, 
so many, many times. Um, the thing about music, and and I can imagine as an athlete um, performing at a top level when something happens and you can't, you no longer can perform at that top level. Um, whereas with a, with a musician, as you uh, you create music and a little bit of your souls in it, and you let them out like little children into the world and you hope they grow legs and that you hope they run around and do great things. But, you know, for every hundred tunes I've written, 70 of them sucked. And, um, and the, 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 the feedback, yeah, not bad. Oh God, we have an off day or I uh, didn't like the way you played that third note. And, and if you listen to that stuff too much, um, <clears throat> you start to doubt, uh, God, am, am I an, am I actually an imposter? Am I one of these people that just thinks he can play guitar, but I'm actually just an imposter and all those things go through your head. And so the answer to your question, Mac is absolutely. And there's, I don't know what, I think there's a little something deep down in size that goes, this is going to come with the territory. And, you know, um, I don't want to say man up about it or harden up about it or get over it, but there is a little bit of all of those things. Um, and I, I've had very, very good, I've I've played with some of the best musicians on the planet, to be honest. And um, what's been very comforting is this is not unusual. This this is very very common, and it's nice to talk to these guys who you consider as taller trees in the in the forest who are just going, oh, you got that one, yeah, all right, it's gonna happen, mate. Uh, you know, keep going. We'll keep going and um one other thing mac which is which is really important is the difference between being a musician and an athlete is that i can still be doing this when i'm 90 um not to diminish true athletes who are who are inspirational and just incredible um but I only kind of need these things to be happening a little bit these fingers and and have an idea about some music uh, and so it's a lifelong commitment. Mm. So you, you mentioned just now that an athlete's probably not going to be playing volleyball at a high level at 90 years old. And I, I totally agree that agree with that. Mac might be an exception. He, he has superior he genetics and doesn't seem to get hurt very often. <laughs> <laughs> the first podcast episode that we did was with someone named Annette Brower. And mm. she has a condition called task-specific focal dysphonia. And what that affects is only her left hand when she's playing the violin. She, she was a professional violinist. And so she can't play the violin anymore, which was her passion. That was her life, was playing the violin. And so in that episode, it was really interesting to talk to her about the transition going from professional violinist to not a professional violinist and her whole identity was wrapped up in the fact that wow. she was a violinist. And so to your point just now, yes. And I hope you are 90 years old, still singing and playing the guitar, but what if, how, how would you deal with it? Do you think if all of a sudden you woke up one day and you couldn't speak or sing anymore, or maybe you have a condition like a net, where your hands just don't work anymore. How do you think you would get through that? How would you deal with that? Do you think? Ooh, that's, that's, um, that's a tough question. Um, it, it reminds me of a question that is asked every now and then, would you rather lose your eyesight or your hearing? And, um, and I guess for me, I'd probably rather lose my eyesight because my hearing is, you know, has been for the longest time my 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 bread and butter. Although I have to say, as years are tra traveling on, I, all my senses are fading, Russ. Oh my goodness, you know, my like um, I used to be able to hear just oh, um, really intricate and in, in, very intricate 
spectral frequencies and it's a natural thing you know as as you get a little bit older things start to wear out um but if i woke up tomorrow and um actually remind me of a story with a friend and i when i went through my rebellious teenage years russ and i was rebellious man um you know going as far as to kind of not cross the law but getting as close as you can to and like riding motorbikes and going as quickly as you could um to have that feeling of a general general rust and anyway my friend and i we were we were on a um a gpz 600 i think we were traveling around one of they say about 100 miles an hour coming into a kind of a chicane and he hit a false neutral so coming into this corner he needed maximum braking maximum front brake maximum rear brake and maximum engine brake to hit that corner at the right speed and he was coming down and he hit a false neutral and so we were going into this corner without that engine braking and um i was i was a passenger on, on on the back and i'm holding on for dear life and i just knew in the next five or ten seconds things could get pretty bad and i just went well i curled my hands up like this and when if we come off i want these things to keep working if i'm if i'm uh, you know tetraplegic quadriplegic uh, uh you know uh, lose limbs and stuff I just want my hands to to be able to function. So a long-winded way of saying, I really don't know how I would cope. I don't know. I, but but better musicians than me have coped. Um, there's a guy by the name of Jason Beck, Brecker. Um, I'm not sure that you would know him, but back in the 80s, he was hailed as this prodigy of absolute geniusness as a guitar of our age better than the uh, Eddie Van Halens and better than the Angus Youngs and better than these, um, the Eric Clapton's and all those guys. And he got a motor neural disease. And so he's lived the last 30 years of his life, basically creating music with his eyes. Uh, I, I can't even imagine that. Look, so they've got this technology that follows his eyes around and he creates music that way. And he seems as happy as, you know, he found, he found, I, I guess, a, 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 I guess you get all spiritual in, in that context of, you know, and, and he is the envy of all of us guitarists that this guy can do that. What have we got to complain about? That's a cool story. I'd never heard that. Brecker. Jason yeah. Brecker. Uh, yeah, just 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 recently, all of the um, uh, he's needed a lot of care. He's 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 in a um, a bit of a downward spiral, and we had guitarists coming out of the woodwork selling their guitars and just just giving this man the, the medical attention that he the expensive medical attention that he needs because he's been such an inspiration to us. Hey, Roger, I want to take a little uh, little bit of a step back in our conversation. One of the things mm-hmm. we hope from, from this podcast is to find those people that might be struggling uh, through, through some challenging times in their, um, in their lives. What's been your process for, for getting yourself out of those, those creative funks or, or just where, where you're in a bad place and you're like, Look, I know the for, the way forward is is through, and there's only I'm only going to get through. But what what helps you to to see you through to the other side um, on a consistent mm-hmm. basis? Because it sounds like mm-hmm. you hit those bumps every once in a while, and you it sounds like you got a process to get get through. Uh, I hit those bumps probably more often than I'd care to admit, but I'll, I'll admit it on this podcast because of the honesty of this podcast. Um, they, 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 they happen more often than I care to admit. You know, there's that old saying, when you're going through hell, don't stop. So there's that. <laughs> there's that. And then there's the other one. You know, you know uh, there are the, the three major uh what would you call them you know 
so we, we try beings, right? We're, we're emotional, we're physical, and we're spiritual. And then there's, there's that other, you know, holy three, some of faith, hope, and love. And we, it doesn't need necessarily to be uh, thought about uh, in, in, in a religious sense, but um, one, of, one of the things that, uh, when things look hopeless and I just don't ever see my way out of it, um, faith, faith, faith has never worked. When things have been terrible and I've just gone, oh, I, I just don't know how this is going to roll. Well, love hasn't worked because you've got plenty of loving people that will say, you're going to be all right. You're going to, you're going to be fine, you know? And, um, and then there's got this other thing called hope and it has a quality. Hope has a quality that, that never disappoints. If you can, like the best thing you can do for somebody who is suicidal um, is try to fan hope into them. Because hope, if, if you believe it as a spiritual quality, hope will never disappoint you. Hope will always turn up when you need it. Faith and love, not sure. I mean, correct me, I have, that's not been my experience. But hope is one of those, part of that trinity of uh, uh, these three these three spiritual qualities that um, has, has if, if, if I've ever gone, right, I don't know what's going to happen here, I hope for a better day. And a better day always comes. Roger, on that on that note, what does hope sound like for you? What is that voice, and how would you encourage somebody? Um, and I and I love that idea and that you know that uh, that trinity. I hadn't heard that explained before, and I love it. But but what does that what does that hope sound like? Besides, hey, a better day will come. You know, when somebody's trying to hold on, what, what does that sound like for you? Yeah, I, I kind of, it's one of those things that you probably only want to whisper to people. You don't want to shout it on the mountaintop because, um, it's a quality that I don't understand. It's, it's something that I can't really explain, but it's something, it's almost as simple as I'm just going to hope for a better day because if I've lost hope, I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm done. If, if I've got, if, if I, if I got, if I don't have any hope left in me, I'm done. And, um, and it's, it's not even a, it's not an academic thing. It's not a, it's not a thing that you can do by good deeds and good works. It's not a thing that you can earn. It's not a thing that you can, uh, uh, you know, spend weeks and weeks feeding the homeless or something like that. It's actually a quality that is all I got to do is hope that a better day is going to come. And in all the ups and downs that I've been through, scrambling furiously to touch wood, <laughs> it's always kind of worked out. So, so that, that, that's, that, that, that's, that's one of my things. Another one is obviously having a strong network of people that understand you and are close to you. Uh, because what a, what was that character that that American character that you guys grew up with, Mister Rogers? Is that him? Mister Rogers, yeah. And and he he says this wonderful line in that movie that, um, uh, gosh, uh, uh, Forrest Gump actor Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks played and he said that which is said can be managed that which is not being said can't be so if you can articulate your pain and articulate your loss your lostness your your your, your loss of direction if you can articulate it as well as you can then it can be managed but if it stays in in this you know wooden block can't be managed. You mentioned something uh, just a few seconds ago. You, you said that 
having a strong support network around you is important. And I would agree with that. However, we don't always have that at times. That's true. And when I was talking to you before this podcast, something you had mentioned is that one of the hardest, if not the hardest transition you've ever had is moving to the United States from New Zealand. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, maybe kind of to wrap things up a little bit here, I'd be really curious if you could just talk about that a little bit and just share what that transition looked like, why it was so hard. Why, why would you consider that the hardest transition you've had to go through, considering you've had you know, lots of challenges as a musician, changing mm. careers, things like that? One, one of the things in New Zealand, I considered myself a, a big fish in a little pond. And I always knew that I needed to leave and to see what my currency looked like <laughs> in somewhere like America, you know, or grew up all my life, you know, just seeing the best artists and the best films and the best fashion statements and the best technology, you know, like America has throughout the years have just been such an inspiration to the, to, to, to the rest of the world watching from afar. And uh, so I just felt that the challenge to head to America, see what that looks like. What, what, what is that going to look like? And um, I quickly discovered, actually, no, not quickly, I, because I'm a slow learner. I, I discovered it uh, that America, it was almost like there's this saying that goes separated by a common language. The only thing I had in, in common with Americans is that we speak the same language. Everything else American is different, different to how I our think. My thinking process is, 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 is different. My, my historical background, my understanding of economics, my understanding of politics, my understanding of how banks work. My gosh, American and the, your credit system, it just was... Uh, that was that was incredible. Like, okay, so get in debt to get a better credit rating. All right, let's work that out. And um, uh, uh, and also, um, insincerity. In New Zealand, your your word is your your word means something. If I say something in New Zealand, I say, hey, I can do that. It's gonna cost you three hundred dollars. And, well, then job done. Okay, see you tomorrow. 300 bucks. Here it is. And you could get away once or twice with going, actually, I know I said 300, but you actually owe me 1,000 now. And you might get away with it once. You might get away with it twice, but your reputation, then, then, then people say, uh, he'll tell you one price one day, and then he kind of didn't really mean it, so you can't take him at his word. And so I, um, I wanted to come here and I actually, my dream was to write music for a feature film, something that had like a hundred million dollar budget. I think I was up for it. I, I, and I still do in some ways. And I just came across, and I guess LA is probably not the, the best example, but I just came across, um, so many disingenuous people that you couldn't take for for, for you just like they'd say to you hey love your work man hey uh, call you tomorrow call you tomorrow uh yeah and we'll and tomorrow came and went next week and i was you'd ring up and say hey look um you know how you said you're gonna call me tomorrow well it's now next week how do you, hey ah oh, sorry man got busy we'll call you tomorrow and after about three months of that i i began to realize oh these guys are just tell you whatever they feel at the, at the time and they don't care. So I, I, I came across that and that was just a big wake up call. Uh, gosh, I could tell you story after story of my introduction into America. I, I, I want to take responsibility for my own naivety and, and I want to take my responsibility for the fact that, you know, there certainly was necessary growth that needed to happen in myself so i can't blame america um i just think it took me a little bit longer to 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 
organize myself to climatize myself. I think anybody that's had that feeling of being a foreigner, you have your you have your past and you have your your way of thinking through everything. And when you land, it's very disorienting that people think differently, even though you've observed them maybe in film or, or, or in different ways, it's still just mm-hmm. very shocking that 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 someone thinks so differently and behaves so differently. So uh, thanks thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it was um uh I, I take some responsibility for taking a, a little bit longer than I should have to um to acclimatize myself a little bit more i my naivety sometimes knows no bounds you know um, i was saying to russ that sometimes i suffer from um what i've self-diagnosed as spiritual tourettes and i i'll, I'll go into a situation and um, trying to read the room. Back in New Zealand, I can read a room. I can read people and I can read the situation and it doesn't really matter. But here was a little bit, I don't think I changed my framework. And so I'd go away from meetings and go, am I, am I speaking a different language? Am, am I really, I was starting to think and I was going crazy because I've never ever experienced I've never experienced in my lifetime not being understood. That was one of the toughest things that not, not, and, and not, not to blame America at all, just to take responsibility that, well, it's not their fault they didn't understand you. Maybe you could have spent a little bit more time to, um, to, to change your language, something like that. Just one more question. Where, uh, where could people find you online or, uh, I don't know if you're, you get your music posted in uh, in different places, but where could uh, where could any of our listeners find you? Most of my music is locked up in television and and and, and films, which has been wonderful because you know if they um, they play this the, these programs for the rest of my life, I'm still getting paid. Um, and, uh, um, most of my work as a producer has been producing other people's work, uh, and in New Zealand, which was one of the difficulties I had in, uh, America, which was, okay, well, you're well known in, in New Zealand. You have done all these films. Nobody knows you. Um, nobody's going to watch your shows and tea and, and, um, so I've been one of these reluctant people to put my, my my first album that I that I did, which is an album called Toto, uh, Toto means um, means blood actually in the Maori language. Um, it I think it's on Amazon or something. It got to the finals of the New Zealand Music Awards a number of years ago, and there's a couple of wonderful tracks on there that I still love. But I think about some of that music now, and I just think how just how much you've grown and how much you've learned and. Um, it's the thing about music, you're it, it constantly evolving and constantly changing. Well, we can put in the show notes afterwards. When we're done, you can send over uh, whatever links that you have to to your music or anything else that you want to share. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll give you the, there's, there's a bunch of stuff on uh, band mix that I put up there to, to um... one last thing, Russ. One of the things I've never had a problem with is joining bands in America. With um, I I I played in a band it was an Americana type type band and the the whole idea of this band was to to write all the music for a feature film and then go and tour with the film and you know it just got on majorly with 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 the producer of that project then I, I got into a, a, another band which was um, a, a tribute band to Leonard Skinner. And so I learned to play the bass on on the this Leonard Skinner music. And the, their whole repertoire was um, amazing, and that helped me to kind of get a feel for you know southern southern uh, uh, music. And now I also play in a Santana. I play guitar in a Santana band, and so I've never had a, had a problem um, getting getting work that way. Uh, and more recently, I'll be performing with a guy whose name is uh, Miguel de Hoyas, 
who's a world-renowned uh, flamenco guitar player, and um, he, like, I, I don't, I don't pretend to even come anywhere near where he where he plays. But one of the things that Americans like is that, hey, this guy is, um, yeah, he may not have a natural sense of rhythm, but actually, it's kind of cool to hear stuff that is at slightly out of time or slightly incorrect because we're all human and 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 once i accepted that as a musician that sometimes i'm gonna make mistakes and sometimes i'm going to uh not not sound as as professional and as amazing as i wanted to but in actual fact sometimes i think even carlos santana said that as you know sometimes you know the, the human heart is not a metronome. The human heart speeds up when it gets excited. It slows down when you're depressed. It, 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 it flutters when you're in love. And, uh, and I've always felt that music should be f- a little free-flowing free like that as well. So you're basically saying that life doesn't need to be auto-tuned to be perfect. <laughs> oh, gosh, you know. As a creative expression, go for it. As someone who just wants to not learn the craft and and make a algorithm make you sound like someone else, not sure. Well, that's a great metaphor, Roger. Thanks so much, and I thank you so much for your time. Thank you, guys. It, it's uh, I was kind of going, oh, well, where is this conversation going to go? And and now having listened to the depth of your questions and the sincerity of why you're asking me because a lot of people I, I, I think about you know gifted and talented people and that sometimes just need to be encouraged and helped and edified and if there's anything that's discussed on the show that helps that I, I man it's just all great just all great thank you Roger we're mm. grateful that you could join us for this hour and Good luck in all your future endeavors. Thank you both. Thank you so thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Passion to Poison. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also tell your friends to subscribe as well.